Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the higher, faster, and stronger sports business podcast, The Sportacast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Ooh, creative Olympic tie for people don't know that that's the sort of the motto of the Olympics. Do you know what the five rings are? I do not know. I, mean, I believe they're continents. They're, they represent continents. Oh, I believe interesting. that's it. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I don't so, think so. So of the six inhabited continents, who yeah, exactly. Who gets? I don't know <laughs> when it was Olympic created rings. for the five. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, we will lump in Pangea. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. By the way, we're we're in like we're in the office, you and I in the office. You're on one side in in sort of like the cone of silence for all those um those uh fans of uh Get Smart. You're in your cone of silence, I'm in my cone of silence. And this isn't a covid thing. We just have them. They're like nice little soundproof booths so we can see each other in our respective cones of silence across the way. I'm waving at you right now. We have not figured out in our office yet how to record in the same room. So we're both in soundproof booths right across from each other. Yeah. Look, look, looking right at each other. Well, the office, the acoustics in the office is terrible. Maybe we should do like two minutes in the office so people can hear just how bad it is. Like major echo. It's no, it's no buenos. But these, these are really cool little rooms. But I, I am really, it's like being in a boutique hotel, like one of these fancy boutique hotels in Manhattan that you only pay like 400 a night for. Where you can like you know sit on the bed and turn and turn the uh, the water on in the bathroom, it, exactly. It's, it's my my shoulder to shoulder. I'm kind of cramped in here. There's not a lot of room. <laughs> so let's get into some topics, Scott. The Olympics, as we teased right at the beginning, set to kick off opening ceremony on Friday. A lot of people did not think these Olympics were going to happen. A lot of people do not want them to happen. We are at least for now full steam ahead in Tokyo. What are your takeaways starting, you know, right now as we sit five days out? I would say those who didn't think the Olympics would happen need to listen to the Sportacast, need to read Sportico, and understand that with the capital expenditure that was made by... Uh, the government. Everybody. Yeah, but yeah, pretty <laughs> by everybody. But we'll say by the government. Uh, what are we up to now? Can you give me the number? Can you fill me in? I mean, I think it depends. You can you can slice and dice these numbers any way you want them to. But we're give me in the, the conservative. We're give in the, conservative. we're in the ten figures for sure. I think twelve yeah. billion is a number that I've seen tossed around. It's a lot more if you look at. I think a lot of capital improvements that the city of Tokyo did to get ready for the games that aren't directly games related. And if you know how this works, you're okay with saying. We're not selling tickets. Nobody can go. You lose about $800 million. Okay, doable. 
what you cannot afford to lose, what any sport cannot afford to lose. And all we need to go, uh, all we need to know is go back and look at the start of the pandemic where the leagues were like, no crowds, but we've got to find a way to get these games on television is a way to preserve the broadcast revenue. Particularly if you're talking the Olympics, you're talking NBC and the United States, which pays the lion's share of that broadcast revenue. As long as they can stage these events, put people on the floor, on the balance beam, um, on the track, on the basketball floor, and beam it around the world, it'll be okay because you do get a lion's share of the revenue. Yeah, I think the easiest way to kind of explain that is to talk a little bit about the insurance numbers that, that we discussed last week. Fitch Ratings came out and said reinsurers, as a result of not having fans in the stands, they're probably going to have to reinsure up, up to about $400 million of hospitality and ticket refunds. If the entire event had been canceled and they were also refunding some media portions, that becomes 10x larger. So what we have right now is is a refund system and an insurance system that isn't going to change the credit rating for any of these reinsurers. A lot of them set money aside knowing that this was going to be a possibility. If we had had to cancel the whole thing, it would have been an industry-wide massive match. It would have been the biggest insurance payout ever made for a single event. Uh, so yes, exactly. You, you can handle and support have for the past 18 months, you can handle not having fans in the stands. We're going to discuss this later with the Green Bay Packers as a tease. The thing you cannot handle is not having the game on TV. Well, let me ask you this now, because normally you would have two years between a summer and a winter games. And, you know, for what are we doing about China? Are we going to be looking now you have Delta variant, you know, raging around in, in places around the world? Are we just going to be repeating the same cycle? I, I think we are. And I think it it could be, be we repeat it because of COVID. And it could also be we repeat it because right now the geopolitical climate around China is so bad. And you, we've seen for, for months already U.S. politicians banging the drum for a potential boycott of the Chinese Olympics. I would be shocked if I think the U.S. will obviously send its athletes. I would be shocked if any U.S. companies or any U.S. political delegation attends the games in any capacity, even if they're allowed to in China. China just because of how toxic that issue is right now. So I could certainly see a situation, Scott, where the Delta variant is so bad and, and some restrictions are in place and, and, and they can't go. I can also see a, a scenario where people in the U.S. And, and in other parts of the world also just say, look, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for me to send all of my customers there. It's not worth it to send my clients. I'm not going to do the big activation I would have done in a normal scenario because, again, this is, and as sad as it is, it's the second Olympics in a row, but this is not, it's not, an, it's not a normal business climate in any, in, to any degree. I covered Beijing, so I did it. I don't even have to worry. I've, I've been there, done that, right? <laughs> been there, been there, done that. Uh, but the Beijing Olympics is a, is a good example. I mean, this is the thing everybody points to, right? The Beijing Olympics was supposed to be China's Opening re-entering the world. exactly, yeah. they were they were becoming a responsible member of, of global society, and a lot of people would argue that they haven't. Right, the, we're now more than a decade since the the Beijing Games, and a lot of the things that the Chinese government promised would happen have not happened yet. And you can only kind of use that card once. You you can't use the 2022 Winter Olympics as the coming out party for China if you've already tried that uh, in no, 2008. No, now you do the, no, no, so. now you do the really. We mean it this time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, good, good, good luck selling that. No, no, no. Really, we mean it this time. But one and of the fun worth, things about oh, go ahead. Go ahead. one of the fun things about being in this business and and preparing for the games because there's years, you know, the, the advance is years in the making. Is that you and I had spoken to people and sort of the thematic part of this one, the theme was mobility. Everybody was talking about the mobility uh, games, and it was going to 
really be the, the overarching message against the Olympics, the Paralympics, all about that. And you know Toyota as a major IOC sponsor was ready to lean in on the message of mobility being a Japanese company. As it turns out, the sentiment in Tokyo and probably all around Japan is so against staging these games because of COVID that Toyota has decided to pull all of its advertising in Japan that's related to the games. Now, you and I know, and I assume the listeners know too, that you pay a handsome amount for the right to be one of those Olympic partners and use those rings that we we referenced earlier in your advertising. And they're saying, you know what? It's not even worth it. We are just going to pull it. Uh, We don't think it would be good for business. That, so up to date, that is the best indicator of where things stand between the business side of the Olympics and the games themselves. And I can guarantee you, Scott, the moment that Tokyo was awarded the Olympics, Toyota as a company circled these two and a half weeks on the calendar and said, this is going to be a massive event for us. And I cannot remember. It's the official transportation vehicles will be Toyotas. Yeah. There's so much that they're doing. And the idea that they're not doing any advertising campaigns on TV during the games because of, and, and specifically because of sensitivities around COVID, I think shows exactly kind of where we are right now, as you know, and as our listeners know, the, the advertising that most people do around the Olympics is this very positive, uplifting, optimistic thing. And these ad campaigns get built months and sometimes years in advance. I'm sure Tokyo Toyota had those things planned. And now they're looking at a, at a city that doesn't particularly want the games to be there. And they're thinking that it's 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 so out of touch with, with the situation on the ground that they don't even want to run the ads at all. So a lot of sponsors are losing out on the opportunity they thought they were going to have in Tokyo, but maybe none more than the Japanese companies themselves that are kind of top sponsors, both of the IOC and of the, of the games on the ground in Japan. When ratings fail to meet expectations or promises, there are make goods in the advertising world. I wonder if the IOC or the local, if somehow, some way, companies that paid top dollar will be maybe pushed out to, I mean, obviously Toyota in Tokyo is different than Toyota somewhere else. That's that's a different kind of spend. But by the way, and and much uh, related to this, my first car, Scott Soshnick's first car at age 17, purchased a Toyota Celica. Silver, well, it was supposed to be silver, pretty much rusted out throughout. 400 bucks. <laughs> I paid 400 for a Toyota Celica. Hatchback. Yeah, it was nice. Called it's it the silver purchase. bullet. Yeah, we called it the silver bullet. What about you? What was your Love first it. car? Uh, it was a Honda Civic. So I was going with the dueling Japanese brand. Uh, it was mint green. I called it Zoom. And it was not fast. <laughs> it, was, it was very much You should have trademarked Zoom. Maybe somebody would have bought it from you. It, it was my grandmother's car that was handed down to my sister. And when I got it, I can't, I don't even know how many miles were on it. But it was, uh, it was a lot. And it was not functioning particularly well as a vehicle. Speaking of not functioning particularly well, let's get to the local revenue of the Green Bay Packers. Mm. <laughs> nice segue. But nice. the Packers released their final financials. Once a year, we get the joy of a little peek ski behind the scenes of, of NFL finances. Thank you and courtesy of the Green Bay Packers, which are, a, am doing air quotes, a publicly traded company. You can get a stock certificate. You can hang it on your wall. It, it, it doesn't appreciate. You can't trade it, but you can say you, quote, own the Green Bay Packers and go to shareholders meeting and fun things like that. Um, you want to tell me about some of the numbers? What did we learn about the Packers um, specifically and the NFL generally? 
Yeah, sure. So the way the Packers report their numbers, they do it in two kind of big buckets. One is national revenue, and that is the same check that every thirty, all 32 teams get in the league. It's primarily the NFL's multi-billion dollar TV deals and a few other league-wide deals. The Packers got $309 million in that bucket last year. That's a record. It means that the NFL distributed almost $10 billion to all of its teams in national revenue. So that went up. That, that number has continued to go up, and because, as we talked about earlier— because the NFL was able to get all of their regular season and all of their playoffs on television, they didn't have a single game canceled because of COVID, uh, those numbers continue to go up. On the local side, which is ticket sales, game day revenue, some merchandise sales, some sponsorships, uh, that took a pretty hefty nosedive. Scott, the, the team usually has around $200, $215 million in local revenue. It was $62 million in local revenue for last year. Um, and as the Packers will tell you, saved in some ways by the fact that they hosted two playoff games. It's never a guarantee that you're going to host a single one. It's a great year when you can host two of them. Uh, They didn't have fans at Lambeau at all until the second half of the regular season. And even then they were severely restricted. Uh, So that number $61 million would have been a lot lower if the team hadn't been, uh, hadn't been supremely good uh, last year as well. So that's kind of the breakdown right now. The thing that stands out to me here, Scott, is just how great a business it seems like to have an NFL team, right? We we had an, an all-time horrible pandemic in which fans essentially couldn't come to games for the entire year. The NFL distributed enough just in national revenue alone, that $310 million number, to cover the salary cap, which is $210 million, plus another $100 million. The Packers have a corporate reserve that they have for for rainy day for problems didn't even need to tap into it. They used it to get a credit facility. That, but it grew. It grew. And yeah. and their investments, yeah, up 120 million dollars last year. Um, it, it's good, hard to imagine performance. They invested wisely. It's hard to imagine a scenario worse for NFL teams than what happened last year. And yet, the Packers came out of this. <laughs> looking fairly good. I mean, it, it it just shows to me kind of how the underlying economics of the NFL are so good and why it costs so much money to buy one of these teams. Yeah, uh, the top line number is an operating loss of $38.8 million. It's the first time in more than 20 years the team failed to post a profit. And, and that doesn't include those investments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, understandable yeah. when you're dealing with a pandemic where you take away a huge chunk of your local revenue. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, they too... Uh, when you can't have fans, I mean, they did have some, but when you can't have your fans, like some would think that the bigger clubs make off better, but they actually lose more money because like, the Cowboys are are soaring in local revenue. They they really turn that building into a cash register. I think there is looking at these Packers numbers. It seems like there might be a way to, if you didn't sell a single ticket, if that local revenue was zero that the Packers could possibly sustain a business that is profitable. Um, if you invest well, again, you're, you're getting from the league. And, and this this number from the league, as, as you know, Scott, about to go up significantly. The, the NFL's $115 billion in new TV deals kick in, I think, in two years. So the minute those deals kick in, that national share number for every team is going to go higher. Again, you're, you're getting more than $100 million over the salary cap just from national revenue sharing alone. So if I I'm an NFL team, hold on, hold on. This, even hold without on. tickets sales at all. Yeah, hold on, hold on. I've got I've got an idea. So I buy an NFL team. I play on a just this grass high school field cuz I don't <laughs> need fans. I don't need sponsorship. All I need to own a team and possibly 
I mean, not only just break even, but make money is field the team and collect the national revenue. Is that correct? It's possible. Again, yeah, the, the, the team, as you said, they had an operating loss. If you take into account what their investments made, they actually, I think, ended up in 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 the black for the year. Um, I'm not suggesting anybody do this, mind <laughs> you, but it does kind of, to me, underscore just kind of what the, the, the underlying economics for NFL teams is is pretty darn good. Yeah, leave if it, you leave can it to you that. to utilize. Underscore. Yeah, leave it to underscore. you. Underscore. There we go. <laughs> yeah, very, very nice. Um, uh, yeah, Pat, by the way, when my son was born 12 years ago, I think I've told you this, I signed up just for the heck of it for season, t- season tickets to the Packers just to see. How are you doing? Now, <laughs> the, the last time I checked, you just get a postcard every now. I think it's once a year you get a postcard that sort of lets you know where you are. I believe, and if anybody from the Packers listens, Mark Murphy, help me out here. If anybody from the Packers listens, please give me a call so we can update this because it would be fun. But the last time I checked, I think I was like 77,000th in line for Packers tickets. And I mean, it's definitely a hundred and something. So I, I mean, I moved down, but he's not going to get seats until my guest would be just like 30 years old. And like, yeah, yeah, I signed yeah. up when he was born. Your great grandson is going to be sitting at a game yeah. in, in 2055 saying, oh, th- thank you to great, great, great grandpa Scott for, uh, for putting for having the my grandfather on the list. Yeah, for having the foresight <laughs> to uh, sign up for Packers tickets. All right. Give me a little name, image and likeness update because uh looks like the maize in blue is first to do something. We talked a bit right after the name, image, and likeness bills passed about the first couple deals that we were seeing. Um, and a lot of them were smaller, one-off post on Instagram for dollars, cameo appearances, things like that. We're starting to get into, Scott, the, the kind of the meatier, more interesting deals. And Michigan students, Michigan football players specifically, just signed one of the more interesting ones that I've seen. They're working with the M-Den, which is the bookstore on campus, uh, where they're going to let Michigan fans buy Michigan football jerseys and put the athlete's name and number on them. And the athletes are going to get a, a small cut of every one of those transactions, just like it happens in the pros, where when you buy a Tom Brady jersey, Tom Brady sees a specific little cut of that through the union. It's essentially a, 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 on a smaller scale, a group licensing deal that encapsulates the entire Michigan football team. I think we're going to see more of this. I think this makes a, a lot of sense as the kind of thing that athletes were never able to do before. And let's let's be blunt, fans were also not really able to do before as well. You could get a Michigan number five jersey if you love Jabril Peppers, but you couldn't get it with Jabril Peppers' last name on it, that's for sure. But now in, in and this is a scenario where you can, and I think this benefits everybody involved in the ecosystem. This is why you couldn't get the video games anymore. It's, you know, the Ed O'Badden, you could not use the name, image, and likeness uh, of the players. So um, one reason this was able to get done in so quickly is that it was done with, a, with an outfit called Valiant Management, which was started by Jared Wangler, who's a former Michigan football player. Mm. So he was there a couple of years ago. He knows a lot of guys on the team. Uh, and to answer some questions folks might have, if I'm a star quarterback, and I sell more jerseys. Yes, I make more money than the you know the triple backup uh, defensive tackle who nobody knows. So I will make more money. Uh, they get about ten bucks per jersey sold, which by the way is more than Tom Brady gets for each jersey sold in the NFL. But I will go That's back. That's not to nothing. The, yeah. yeah, no, it's not nothing. But it's an idea that that, that I had years ago, Evan. And I, I think you probably laughed at me. You do laugh at a number of my ideas. But now seeing this, what the university cannot do is sell a jersey with the name and number on the back. Because that is, I've always said, 
If I was a university bookstore at Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, all the big boys, Penn State, you name it. I'll throw in Syracuse because my alma mater, even though they haven't won a whole lot. <laughs> they, don't, they don't deserve to be in there, but Syracuse. Um, what I would have done is leased space, like a two-by-two two cubicle to an outside entity. They pay me rent. That does nothing but iron on letters and numbers on jerseys. And me <laughs> as the university, all I'm selling is a blank jersey. Fans don't want a blank jersey. They want a name and number on the back. There's nothing stopping somebody who bought a jersey at the bookstore from walking across to your local whatever to getting the name and number ironed on the shirt. It was a big opportunity. They did not meet the demand of the public. That sound you hear is Jay Billis licking his lips at the ability to tweet uh, and shame this idea of yours. Uh, I think the reason you don't see that is because of how bad they realized, I think, a lot of big NCAA programs. They just realized how bad a look it was. And this didn't stop others from trying I, it. It's, yeah, well, okay. it's I know funny. It's a bit like, wait, wait, wait. But on the Billis thing. But what? Seriously. Yeah. I mean, seriously. What if I was on campus, really, and I just had like an iron-on business? And I said to everybody, bring your jerseys. I'll put the name and number on. This university has nothing to do with it. But it could have been a really good business. Sure, I guess if you're the if you're the iron-on company, I'm the there's, iron-on there's, guy. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's potential I'm there the for sure. Master of jersey name and number. I find the jersey, and, and again, it's th- there's been restrictions on this, and a lot of schools even stop selling just the number without the name. But I found that to be kind of one of the more naked, really obvious kind of exploitative aspects of this entire. Well, you economy. brought up Jay Billis. Do you remember when? He went to, I don't remember which specific school or schools it, it was or were, yep, but he I know where you're going. To, yep. yeah, he went on to like the store and it had the name and number. <laughs> so it was, yeah, not only that, you, you could Google the name. I believe it was Terrell Pryor, but if you searched yeah. Terrell Pryor on the NCA website, you got the Ohio State number 10 jersey just popped up. That, hey, I'm like, not going to penalize. I know you're not connecting not, them, but I am come not going to penalize Ohio State for having a wonderful <laughs> SEO practice and getting like high rankings <laughs> on the Google search. They've done a really wonderful job having been in this <laughs> business now i wonder I, I know how much work goes into getting a nice high seo ranking it is uh, uh, it's also ironic to me scott that this is happening at michigan i believe the fab five were yeah. among the first to point out the exact hypocrisy oh, in this idea that, that they up. couldn't those guys would have cleaned up. can you imagine if this if this mden deal had existed back then i mean i can't yeah, imagine how many jerseys they sold in their in their time in michigan Right. Uh, what do you think? I mean, they, they changed the whole culture, the long shorts, everything. That I mean, that was all... Man. And I've always said that the poster boy was Johnny Manziel because he was a national brand. There, He would have sold jerseys all over the country. Yeah, and I, I know it's a touchy subject with Manziel about autographs because I, I think at this point he's at least yeah. confirmed that he was paid for some autographs while he was at Texas A&M. But yeah, the, the fact that college athletes can now be paid for their autograph, Manziel, I mean, would have made probably seven figures on on his autograph alone um, when he was in college. I think you're right. I think the the longevity that he played in college and then also just the a, a Texas A&M fan base that was starving for kind of national relevance and he put it on a rocket ship. Um, yes, I think all those things are. And Manziel feels like the perfect example. Yeah. All right. Now, those who pay close attention to the show know you muffed the closing last week. 
Like you, it, you wouldn't know it if you didn't really listen closely or whatever. But you, I mean, let's, I think let's, it sounded fine. It no, might not look. It might not have looked fine, but I think it sounded fine. You muffed it a little bit. Do you want a second chance, or you want me to just do it? No, I'm. I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'll let you go back to that. I'll do the one later in the week. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnik on Twitter at Soshnik. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman, and she loves when we tell you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Podcast Network. Thank you.